0: Thank you for joining us for another Hagley History Hangout. My name is Gregory Hargreaves, Assistant Director of the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library in Wilmington, Delaware. Now, as you know, during these history hangouts, we like to bring you some of the great work being done by folks with the historical collections held in the Hagley Library, especially by scholars who have received support from the Hagley Center in the form of research grants and fellowships of different kinds. One such scholar is joining me today. Tina Wei is a Ph.D. candidate at Harvard University. Tina, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Let's start by painting with broad strokes, so to speak. What is it you're researching and writing about?
1: Um, So my dissertation is about the history of fatigue in the workplace in the first half of the 20th century in the
0: U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, are you coming at this from Uh, I know you're in the department of history of science. And so are you coming at this from um, sort of a workplace medicine perspective or uh, what is your approach here?
1: Yeah, um, the dissertation, uh, as you mentioned, I'm in the history of science program. And so in terms of the history of science, my work draws on some history of medicine because some of the people I'm looking at are doctors, physicians at, um, uh, at an industrial plant or like that. Um, Some of them are psychologists, some of them are psychiatrists. So they are MDs, but specifically focusing on psychiatry, uh, and some uh, work on ergonomics. And so there are a lot of different kind of um, subdisciplines of science under the umbrella of the human sciences that get brought to bear um, on the project. And the dissertation is divided into three parts. So Mm -hmm. in the first part, I focus on a physiological approach to fatigue, those who were studying fatigue as a condition that's primarily located in the body. And then the second part of the dissertation looks at people with a hybrid conception of maybe kind of mind-body conception of fatigue that incorporates both mental and physiological fatigue. And then the final section looks at people who are making the argument that fatigue is primarily or exclusively a mental problem. Um, And so when workers are coming with um, complaints about uh, accidents or material conditions, raise wages, cut hours, improve um, conditions in the workplace, that there's actually a mental problem going on and that the solution to that, um, the solution to a mental problem should be a mental solution. Um, so that's kind of the way I go about approaching it. But in terms of the scholarship I draw I guess there's some history of science, some labor history, and then some business history because a yeah. lot of the um, uh, places where some of these studies are happening are um, all sorts of different businesses. Some of them are in industrial plants. Some of them look at um, kind of casual labor and agricultural labor or mining. Um, some of them look at office work. Some of look at housework, but Businesses are a very a very important part of a lot of the people I'm studying. So those are kind of the three big buckets that I'm trying from.
0: Wow, that sounds like a really interesting project. Yeah. Uh, what what attracted you to the subject?
1: Um, so, uh, I don't know if you want the longer version or the shorter version, but I'll try to kind of sum it up. So when I was okay. an undergraduate, I majored in philosophy, and I loved studying philosophy. Um. But I think there was something I was looking for in terms of uh, something that was closer to my life or um, closer to maybe like a present day significance. Not that mm-hmm. I need that like exclusively, but um, yeah, there was just something that I felt like I was missing from my philosophy education, although I really um, benefited from and am deeply influenced by that kind of training. So after my bachelor's degree, I ended up working in people operations at Google. So that's the department at Google that they um renamed human they renamed human resources into people operations essentially um and in working there and in living in silicon valley you know in the mid teens so it's different from the kind of climate or landscape now um after the pandemic they've scaled back a lot of the workplace benefits and then i don't know if you've been following both last year and this year there have been like hundreds and thousands of workers laid off in mm-hmm. tech and so now it's a different kind of landscape but when i was working there in the mid teens um that was kind of the peak, the heyday of of those types of that style of workplace benefits, mm-hmm. um, with a huge emphasis on um, wellness, um, mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, and so, in being in that kind of environment. First of all, in being in Silicon, living in Silicon, living and working in Silicon Valley, I became interested in um, these questions of science and society that really animate the discipline of the history of science or science and technology. Um, I guess STS is defined in two ways. Some people call it science, technology, and society. Some people call it science, and technology, studies. Um, And so that's kind of what got me interested in that subdiscipline. And in terms of the specific research question, working in kind of like um, like, a, like a department that's a descendant of HR, I was interested in how did we get here? Why are these workplace benefits um, structured in this way? Why do they emphasize the values that they do? Why is it that the corporation can justify spending so much money um, on these things and how does that relate to workplace productivity mm-hmm. uh, or whatever other uh, objectives the corporation has. So in getting into that, I got into um, this kind of like, these historical questions about how we got here. And then that eventually led me to what I'm doing now.
0: Sure. Um, So where does fatigue come into the picture? Um, Were some of the interventions in the workplace at Google uh, tailored to counter the effects of workplace fatigue? Or um, is that some part of the observation you made coming from the workplace?
1: Yeah, so throughout, I try to use the word and or the term industrial fatigue because that's mm. the term that my um, I guess historical actors use, um, mm. and a lot. A lot of the physiologists would always refer to it as industrial fatigue. And then later, as people try to take apart the physiological view of fatigue, they start just referring to it as fatigue. And then eventually people use different terms. And so I tried to um, center my study on that because some of the people that I focus on, especially towards the beginning of the dissertation, that's the animating term Mm -hmm. for that. Um, And I don't know how much I'll get into it in terms of the dissertation, but this kind of condition of workplace something um, looks different if you call it fatigue versus burnout versus stress versus anxiety versus neurasthenia. And so you could you could tell different stories or trace different etiologies based on how. Um, you demarcate this concern and how broadly or narrowly you go. Um, but I guess I decided to go with industrial fatigue because um, some of the people I look at, they specifically term their study, the study of industrial fatigue.
0: So are the subjects then primarily the industrial labor force?
1: For those people, yes. Um, and so um, some of the questions that they ask, um, especially the physiologists are if There's this furnace, it's dry heat, 110 degrees. The worker goes in there, spends 10 minutes in there, and they have to repeat this um, every hour and a half. How many times can they do this before they collapse? And so a lot of this research is operating under um, um, the paradigm of the human worker as a machine. Mm -hmm. And so these scientists would make all of these um, analogies of just as you do upkeep for a mechanical machine in an industrial factory, you ought to do that for the worker as well. And just as a mechanical machine can reach a point where it just breaks down Mm -hmm. and can no longer do the work um, you demand of it, the human worker can be pushed pretty far, but their argument is that there is this kind of like threshold where you push them past that point and they Break, so to speak, as a as a mechanical um, entity that you're demanding work from, hmm. and so they 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 rely on this analogy a lot, um, but the, it's it's within that kind of framework that some of the initial physiological research uh, comes about
0: it sounds a little bit like this is heavily influenced by taylorism they're sort of doing time motion studies but from a um sort of health and safety perspective am i uh yeah. catching that correctly
1: yeah definitely um so the second part of my dissertation focuses um on uh taylor maybe not so much taylor but all of the people around him and then mm-hmm. the generation of tail rights. Um, And I have a couple chapters focused on the work of Frank and William Gilbreth. Um, so the uh, mother and father portrayed in Cheaper by the Dozen, and they themselves were efficiency consultants. So um, the some of the work that I focus on that happened during Frank Gilbreth's lifetime, and then he died, and then that work kind of stops, um, uh, has to do with motion study done with the camera and so using the camera as a way to kind of um, make concrete or tangible or uh, trace movement or motion um, as a way, as an entry point into fatigue. And so they called that research project, the couple called this research project um, their fatigue elimination project for a while. And so that's another place where the, this fatigue key term comes back. Um, and they have had this, uh, the way they think about it sometimes disparagingly is um, how do you eliminate waste in industry mm. and so sometimes people can be waste as well and so they they do they did work on disabled veterans and so part of this it's this um I don't know it's like a like a triumphant progressive era belief that there's this kind of technocratic solution to all of these social problems and that some people are a waste in that they can't participate in society or the economy at the same level of being a producer. And that when they do this motion study and they fix, they fix the workplace setup, you can kind of rehabilitate these people to become producers again. And and so yeah, it's a it's a very fraught um kind of discourse instead of, in terms of what's considered waste, how do you eliminate waste um, or fatigue in industry in a variety of workers.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of workplaces uh, are you looking at?
1: Um so the first part of the dissertation, um, and I for, for that first part, I drawn the materials from the National Industrial Conference Board, which with the papers are at the Hagley. Um mm-hmm. they get into this like spat with some of the scientists I'm looking at, and they start producing their own like counter research on fatigue really because some of the researchers were involved um, with these kind of welfare movements and they wanted to use the research to make arguments for example for shortening the workday, mm-hmm. and then the national industrial conference board kind of marshaled evidence in the contrary direction to say all this fatigue all your fatigue statistics are wrong and you should look at it in the way that we look at it and so it becomes this whole kind of um um there was a lot of spilled ink over it um and that that's what led me into the hagley Hmm. collection um so those people the ones that i'm looking at in that kind of dispute they look at two companies one is ford and so the auto industry and the other one is the Scoville manufacturing company which is like a metal and brass um company in waterbury connecticut so Hmm. Those are the um, industries I look at for that section. And then when I get into the Frank and Lillian Gilbert stuff, they really diversify the um, industries they look at. So some of them are um, looking at um, uh, type typists, like he was looking mm-hmm. at these um, champion typists, or through working with him, he claims that they became international typing champions because, because he eliminated all the fatigue. And so, <laughs> um, so some of that is office work. So, they have a specific kind of desk set up to look at office or the motions involved in doing office work. Um, And then Lillian Gilbreth gets into um, kind of um, homemakers' labor. And so, how do you design a kitchen in order to? optimally arrange everything. So you can, as she would say, like make an apple pie in like 10 steps, or um, she's, she's credited with lots of innovations you might be familiar with today, like the foot pedal trash can, or having shelves and refrigerators. So this kind of um, like home kitchen centric labor and mm-hmm. how to eliminate fatigue wherever possible in that kind of setup. And then in the final section of the dissertation, um, some of these social scientists are looking at kind of um, like radical militant uh, union activity mm-hmm. out west. And so some of them are in mining and um, agricultural labor. So some of them call them uh, California casual. So casual labor um, within the agricultural sector in California. And they're often like itinerant labor um, and they might move from. Um, one job to another and uh, they're, they're focusing on those types of workers. And then the last thing maybe I'll say is, um, I don't know how much I'm going to emphasize this or how I'm going to string it together um, in a narrative fashion, but all of these people or most of these people I'm looking at are scientists. They're like, Either, either like academic research scientists affiliated with the university or they're um, kind of engineering consultants, or they are doctors. Um, so they're, they're, they're scientists of different stripes. And there is um, a kind of theme throughout all of this, where they're either explicitly or implicitly aware that doing scientific research is also a form of work. Mm. And so they generate a lot of kind of like self-conscious Meta discourse about how, oh, I'm doing this committee work and that's really I'm really fatigued from this or they make jokes about it. Mm. um, And one of them, um, Frank Gilbert studies, some laboratory scientists. So looking at the motions involved in like pipetting something and surgeons. And they were really um, involved in kind of standardizing the order in which you put surgical instruments.
0: Uh huh
1: in order to cut down on the time that the patient would have to be under anesthesia, which at the time could have posed various hazards. Um, And so there was a medical efficiency movement that they dovetailed with. So there are all these ways in which um, there's the workplace that they work on, but then they themselves are doing a type of work. And sometimes that's brought into the research as um, another workplace that they're concerned with.
0: What a rich subject. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your use of the uh, materials in that Hagley collections. Um, could you perhaps um, let us know how Hagley came on your radar and then what sort of um, collections you've gotten into?
1: Yeah. I think I heard about the Hagley from going to the BHC, the Business mm-hmm. History Conference, and so a lot of people um, recommended that I go there. and a- a number of my friends had also um gone there, particularly Aaron Van Nest, who studies fisheries and he was in my department. And so um Aaron in particular recommended it not only for the research experience, which is super cool, but also you know, getting to stay. I don't know what you guys call it the campus or the compound. Like it's mm-hmm. just super, <laughs> it's super cool. Um And uh, the like gunpowder demonstrations, you know, it's a whole kind of experience on top of a regular research trip. Um, And I just thought that was so cool to be able to experience (laughs) that. Um, Yeah. So it was it. And my friend Alex Perry also went there and he also highly recommended it. Um, Yeah. Just it's just kind of this like all 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 inclusive um, experience. Um, and I, I had I had a really great time going on all the tours and stuff um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the workers quarters and I write about work. And so it's it's kind of it's, it's it felt very related. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the topic or um, the 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 academic research
0: mm-hmm.
1: path that led me there, uh, I think it was hearing about it from other people at BHC and they recommended that I check out the collections, and then I found that this organization I was trying to find kind um, of paper trail for that the entire collection um, is at the Hagley. But it's really interesting about that collection; it's super extensive. I forget. I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say there's like 110 boxes or something. There was a, there was a lot, but the finding aids not digitized, and so um, it doesn't seem like people work on this particular collection that much. But I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not the writing is, is digitized or not. Um, but it's just like, it's a super extensive collection. Um, and they have all sorts of material, including transcripts of meetings. And for later periods, I learned from Angela, one of the librarians that they're also audio recordings, which are super cool. But yeah, there was so much stuff that I found there. I'm not, I'm not quite sure yet how I'm gonna distill it down into something that is um, I can communicate to another person outside yeah. of my own head. But there, there was so much material, and it took quite some time to even orient myself to um, the layout um, of how the materials are organized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad that I had uh, a couple weeks there to work on this. Um, and I think I'll try to come back in the spring, but it was, it was a, it was a really, really cool collection to impress myself in.
0: When you were in the collection, was there a particular document or source that really made the light bulb go off for you?
1: Yeah. So I'm not sure how I'm going to, um, bring it together with the rest of the materials in my dissertation yet. But I've been thinking about this document for a while, ever since I found it in the archive. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this theme throughout a lot of people that I'm looking at in terms of their relationship with fascism. So I don't know what what to make of that. Or like it doesn't seem like on the surface that fascism needs to have any kind of relationship with fatigue. I don't know. But um, I found in their documents that in 1929 they invited this fascist to come speak at their meetings because i wasn't really sure about the kind of status of the national industrial conference board in general Mm -hmm. because on the one hand um i guess way later on they published like the consumer confidence index and like economists cite them like the economists i know at my university like they cite them like they're just a regular organization that puts out research you know they're not aware of this like 100 years ago mm-hmm. um, history of how the foundation of this organization may relate to a response to the labor movement you know and that's like today that's not really how they're read at all and it seems to me like they're read as this super neutral body um so i'm not sure how to piece it together in terms of um, but then from my union sources, even in like the 40s and 50s, I see them refer to the National Industrial Conference Board as the brain trust of uh, cap- the capitalists. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, like what's the status of science that they're putting out? I'm not quite sure how I'll deal with that, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they invited this fascist to come, come speak and they had an interpreter and everything. And then they distributed the um, speech to all of their kind of, like, member associations, um, Mm -hmm. and right before it, they printed this preamble or preface that was, like, by printing and distributing this, we are neither um, claiming to support or deny the contents of this talk.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know. It just seemed to me like that was a really interesting statement. Not only were they saying not we don't endorse this, they're saying we're we don't endorse this, nor do we claim to not endorse it. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I don't know, but that yeah. that seemed to me like just a super interesting uh find that I wasn't um planning on encounter.
0: Sure. Yeah, that that these studies have some political valence to them, especially given the context of um, labor relations in that moment, that is so fascinating. Uh, would you say that your study has any implications for the present moment? Um.
1: I don't know. Um, you mean in terms of how um, labor and employers should interact or how we should see fatigue in the present day or something
0: else. I suppose, um, to, if, if I interpret your main thrust of your main point correctly, that, um, these sort of measures of, um, addressing workplace fatigue also amount to a form of labor control and discipline. And I'm wondering whether, um, at this moment we have presently where there is a lot of, um, Uh, union organizing and a lot of um, uh, industrial agitation as it would have been called a hundred years ago. Um, uh, Whether uh, your study speaks to that present moment in some way.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that is interesting to me, I'm not sure um, if this is as like concrete and applied as I could articulate it, but it's like the people I'm looking at—they lived in a period where, when they see labor militancy, they mean like very serious um, violence, and it—it it, 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 a, a kind that of, we don't necessarily see today. But yeah. in, in that kind of against that kind of backdrop, the, some of these psychiatrists were looking at the social situation, and they would come out with these statements that. Um, Unionism, as they call it, or Bolshevism, is a form of insanity. And so that's how they kind of interpreted it. Um, I think you're totally right that the broad arc of the dissertation as I see it is that I'm trying to show how this concern for workers' health, which started out as kind of this like welfarist, progressive era, um, um, Mm pro-worker engagement, then became a tool for capital to better command its workforce, exactly Mm -hmm. as you said. Um, Something that I've noticed that why I think this kind of reprisal is particularly interesting at this moment is that, as I may have mentioned, some of the arc I'm trying to draw out is that people started out seeing it as a physiological thing. And then later on, people made the argument that it's just a mental problem. Um, And I feel like we're living in an age in which... um, people now see that maybe the physiological is coming back in a way where it hadn't been emphasized as much before, Mm -hmm. or maybe purely mental solutions offered by the workplace, like a mindfulness meditation program is not sufficient to meet the challenges, the other types of challenges or changes that people are calling for in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, So That might be one aspect of it, that um, the way it bears on the present is that I'm interested to see how a conception of fatigue that incorporates both the mental and physiological aspect might change the way we think about work today and the types of demands that people make um, on the workplace. Um, And I guess even more broadly, um, a consideration of how science interacts with labor because that's constantly happening throughout my dissertation like scientists are intervening in the labor problem and sometimes posing themselves as a neutral third party arbiter of this social conflict mm-hmm. um and we're living in a different moment in terms of how science intervenes on the labor question if at all or maybe it it, it just it just it, it just it, it'll change or pivot the direction that the labor movement will go um yeah, because a lot of the workers I'm looking at talk about the indignity of being watched, like mm-hmm. having um, mm-hmm. time study or motion study, or um, these researchers come into the workplace. That there's something objectionable about that. But today, scientific tools mediate a lot of people's workplace experience through surveillance or other um, means. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, some kind, of, some 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 kind of um, reflection about the longer arc of science and labor, um, science as a form of labor control or science as a mediator of labor control may also be part of the present day relevance. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Tina, that's really thoughtful. And thank you so much for sharing your work with us. It's been fascinating.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for chatting.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And for the audience, if you would like more Hagley history hangouts, more information on the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society and the Hagley Museum and Library, join us online. You can visit Hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot O-R-G. Don't be a stranger.